Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen and thank you for joining us today. We are back from CAFO and what a great week it was in Nashville with um, so many of our friends and fellow um, people who are working and doing our best to collaborate and help children with our families. Phil, what, what was your favorite part of the week? Yeah, as always with CAFO, I just absolutely love connecting with, like you said, friends, you know, old friends, new friends. I've really enjoyed connecting with some of you out there, the the audience uh, of this show who I've never met in person, but I've just been able to, to kind of meet um, online through Facebook through emails, whatever it may be. And, you know, probably my favorite meeting was with my brother, Jafat, in Zimbabwe. And I, I just I just love you, Jafat, and uh, really enjoyed getting to meet you in person. I know you're listening because you listen to every episode, as you told me. Um, it was so much fun. And I, I think if there were, you know, a bunch more Jafats out there, we'd have it out to a lot more people. He said to me, he says, I've listened to every single episode. And I'm, I'm hacking his, his accent, but Jafat, you're going to be laughing right now. Uh, I said, I said, yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. He goes, I listened twice, twice to each episode. And I tell everyone in Zimbabwe about it. And I said, they think you're nuts, huh? And he says, yes, they do, but I don't care. And it was so great. And I just absolutely enjoyed getting to know him more and more throughout the week. Um, but also just the amazing content that is, is at CAFO every year. And the, the only downside of it is there's so much of it you can't hear all of it you can't go to every breakout but the nice thing is they provide all the audio for it so if you're out there and you weren't able to make it you can get all of the breakouts you can get all of the main conferences and uh, you can get that at the CAFA website I don't think it's quite available yet but it will be soon Um, and they can get you a card that you're able to download all of it so I know that I'm going to be listening to a lot of that because you know between facilitating stuff and and having meetings and other things I wasn't able to go to to most of the conference um, and get most of the content so how about you Karen what did you think of it? Yeah I really, really enjoyed the the conference. Again, I love being able to see people that sometimes I only get to see every year or every other year. It was really great to connect with some specific friends that I hadn't seen in almost five years. The content, of course, at the research symposium, that's where my heart and mind get really excited about just being able to collaborate with other professionals and practitioners and researchers. That was a great um, opportunity to be able to learn and and connect and, and share. I think one of my other favorite of the week was um, there was a lot of students. There was actually like um, a CAFO for students, uh, the entire section that was focused and intentionally focused on providing specific content um, related to global orphan care for students in various disciplines. And I got to be a part of um, one of the breakouts, uh, one of the sessions specifically focused on students who have an interest in social work or psychology or the the mental health field. And so I was very excited to be able to share and and pour into uh, several students who have a really strong desire and I would say a calling to really incorporate um, intentional and research-based mental health care to children who um, are living in difficult situations or in foster care who um, don't have families globally. So I was super, super excited about that, Phil. 
Yeah, definitely. I just want to give uh, thanks again to the entire KFO team. There are so many people that are working um, in front of the camera, so to speak, and and behind the scenes. And and I just you know think of uh, so many folks that help me just find my way around the place, let alone um, knowing how much work goes into putting that on. So thanks again to the KFO team. Well, today um, I know Karen and I are so excited to get this uh, get this interview out to you. Because um, for Karen, she just she called me and goes, Phil, this guy is awesome. And, and I agree. Um, I've been able to get to know Jeff Sandifer over the, the last few years. He's a brother. He is my mentor, one of my mentors. Um, and I can't, uh, I can't tell you enough good things about this man. I'm so appreciative of, of, of him and the advice he's given me over the years. And I am so excited for you to learn from him just a little bit today in part one of our interview with him. You know, I'm just going to let you know we're, we're, what we're going to be doing hopefully over the next few episodes is breaking up the interviews a little bit more, make them a little bit shorter uh, episodes. But what you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to be missing any of it. It's just like in the past where we're, we're not cutting this stuff. It is still real talk with these real, real awesome people. Um, and, uh, but we're just wanting to give them in little bite size, more bite sized chunks. Um, and that was basically from popular demand. So, uh, we'll, we'll see how you like it. Give us feedback on it. You know, as always, we hope we get questions from you. Hope you get, uh, input, on how we can be doing the show better. And on that note, we're going to be having a, a survey coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and so I, I would greatly appreciate it. And I know Karen would greatly appreciate all the feedback you can give to us on how we can continually make this show better and better. Um, without any more from us, we're going to go to part one of this great interview with Jeff Sandifer uh, talking about education. Well, Jeff, it is so great to have you here today. I'm, I'm very excited for our conversation to be able to share some of the conversations we've had over the years um, and uh, really just allow our audience to uh, hear from you and the wisdom that you have to share. Thank you, Phil. It's great to be here. Well, you know, as with many of our guests, I know a lot of the folks listening in around the world probably don't know you, don't don't know uh, much about you. So I was, I was hoping you could just share with them uh, quickly, just kind of share your story, how you got to be where you are today. Sure. Well, I, I am an entrepreneur by uh, trade and a teacher, a Socratic teacher by uh, love and vocation. So um I've, I was born in uh, West Texas, uh, educated at the University of Texas in Harvard Business School, went off and built several companies, and um, continued to keep in hand in the Acton MBA, which is kind of a, a, a Navy SEAL program for MBAs. But my job today, and the reason we're here today, is I'm a full-time middle school and launch pad, that's our word for high school, guide. Uh, other schools, we call it a teacher, but at, at Acton Academy, I'm a guide. And so I spend my day with middle schoolers and high school age young people who want to change the world. Yeah, and there's so much that we could talk about. There's so much in the business world, entrepreneurship, all those things that, that you have so much wisdom to share. But as you said, today we are here to talk about the Acton Academy, really, and, and how I believe it, it, it can change and just transform lives all around the world. And I know you believe the same thing, which is why we're having this conversation. Um, can you just share uh, what incited you? And we'll get into the details of it, obviously, but what incited you and your wife, Laura, to start the Acton Academy? And uh, how'd you make it happen? Well, it, it, it's actually very simple. And it's the same reason 
um, many parents around the world are starting Atkins or other learner-directed communities. It's our, our own children. Um, our two boys were having a blast in Montessori school uh, when they were kind of uh, preschool-aged, and it came time to move them to more traditional school. So I went to the very best teacher in the top private school in our town where our uh, daughter was attending, and I said, when should we move them? And he said, absolutely immediately. And he was so abrupt, it surprised me. I said, why? And he said, well, once they've had that kind of freedom, they won't want to have to sit at a desk and be talked at for eight hours a day. Hmm. And before I could even think about it, I said, well, I don't blame them. And this great teacher, who's a very tall man, he looked down at the ground and he didn't say anything for a long time. I thought I'd offended him. And he looked up and he had tears in his eyes and he shook his head and he said very quietly, I don't either. Hmm. And that day I went home and I told Laura, I don't know how we're going to do it. We may homeschool, we may start a school, but our boys are not going to sit at a desk eight hours a day. Uh, they're too special for that. So that was the start of Acton Academy with seven children that we recruited from around the neighborhood in a little one room schoolhouse um, with a blank sheet of paper. <laughs> Yeah, and there's obviously a whole lot more to that story too. But uh, you know, for the sake of time, uh, I'd love for you to just share um, what your vision is for Acton Academy and, and and how it differs from traditional education and the reform movement that, that some people may know about um, that are listening. Sure, and and, and to be to, to, to be careful, you know, we're really not. I've done my stint in higher education reform. And I've been active in, in uh, the school reform movement, but this is not about that. In fact, I'm not, I'm not part of that anymore. Uh, we're about serving families who want to serve their kids. And what makes Acton special is our mission is very clear, that each person who enters our doors will find a calling that will change the world. So we believe that each child is a genius. Uh, that doesn't mean each child has 180 IQ. That's not what the word means. When you look it up in the dictionary, it means has a special talent. Uh, we believe that gift is something that should be shared, and we're a place that uh, helps young people and perhaps just as important their parents find a hero's journey that will change the world. Yeah, and, and really, you kind of call it the disruptive. I mean, it's kind of an idea of the disruptive movement. What, what do you mean by that? What I've heard you say that in some of the videos and, and some of the other things that you have online. Can you share a little bit what you mean by that? Yeah, the, the, the disruptive um, idea comes from a Harvard Business School professor and friend of mine named Clay Christensen, who uh, really coined the idea of disruption. And it, it's the idea that often people are overserved by a product or something they need, and someone comes in with an entirely new, cheaper, simpler, and more powerful way to do it. And that it's so different that the incumbents uh, don't pay attention. And so an example would be uh, these mini mills of steel mills used to, to melt junk to make scrap iron out of it. And U.S. Steel was worried about making iron, uh, making steel for finished cars, for, for Pontiac or Oldsmobile. And so they ignored this little startup. They just melted scrap iron and they ignored them when they took the scrap iron market then they took the bar iron market. Then they took, took the roll steel market. And as the entrepreneurs got better at this new disruptive innovation, they continue to chip away at the market share until one day U.S. Steel goes broke. So it's a way of attacking a monolithic system. Um, well, actually, it's a way of serving customers. It doesn't really attack the system. It serves customers. And, and instead of attacking the system, the customers vote with their feet and flee to something better piece by piece by piece 
until the decrepit structure collapses, much like we did with the Soviet Union. We didn't go to war. We created a better alternative. People voted for their feet. They crossed in Germany across the Berlin Wall to freedom, and the old structure collapsed. Hmm. Yeah, and, and we'll get to the, the what and the, the how of, of Acton Academy in, in a minute, but you know, as, as we, we hear, and, and I know you would agree with, we, we want to start with why. And um, you, you touched on it a little bit with, with the vision and just that every, every child is a genius, every child who walks in the door. And, and that really is one of the three beliefs that, that kind of drive everything that you do at Acton. Can you, can you share that a little bit more into that, um, including kind of the one requirement you have for a master teacher at, at Acton and then what the other two uh, beliefs are that, you, that really drive what you do and, and why you do it? Well, sure. And the first belief, of course, that, that, you know, that each person is put on this earth, not just a, a child at a school, but each mm-hmm. person is put on this earth to find a calling and change the world. Um, that uh, we believe that young people should be in charge of their own learning. That doesn't mean they don't have guardrails, they don't have goals, uh, but it, it's a personal journey. And, and I think one of my great discoveries of being around Acton is that teaching and learning aren't very correlated. We often think if we taught someone something, they must have learned it, but it's not actually true. If you want to learn something in today's age, you can learn it. So we want young people to be in charge and excited about their own learning. And then Finally, that that learning these days is not about knowledge. It's not about uh, regurgitating information. In an age of Google, uh, we're past that. And so we really believe it's about learning to learn. So knowing the process of how to learn something, learning to do, actually doing something in the world and learning to be. This idea of character and changing and pursuing your hero's journey in community and how that changes you. Mm. Can, you, can you dig de- a little bit deeper into that learning to do and learning to be? And, and I think the importance of identity and knowing why we're created to do what we're created to do is so important, but so often neglected in our education system today. And can you, can you dig into that just a little bit deeper for our audience? Sure. Um, in, in, in the learning to do, uh, we would have young people in Quest, which we'll probably talk about in a minute. But mm-hmm. in these narrative based journeys, you feel like you are Thomas Edison in his Menlo Park lab and you're inventing the light bulb. Uh, or you feel like you're you know, Harry Potter going out to slay Lord Voldemort. Um, so in these, in these quests, you have this desire to do something important, but you have to actually do something, right? You have to actually go conquer the dragon. You have to actually make the light bulb light up. You have to, so there's, there's real things in the real world that have to be done, and it takes great courage to do those. And so really, in a lot of ways, Acton Academy is about learning to fail early, cheaply, and often. And failure, why no one likes failure, I can't stand failure, it's necessary to have the courage to risk and to fail to grow. And, you know, I love C.S. Lewis always says that the you know, single most important virtue is courage, because from that all other virtues flow. And that you have to have the courage to love, to do, to, you know, to, to actually take a risk. Um, and so learn to do, the courage to act, to actually craft something on this earth that matters actually translates into learn to be because that's what forges a character. Hmm. 
Yeah, and, and I and I love hearing when uh, you you shared in I believe it was your TEDx talk, which we'll link to on on the show notes for the show because I encourage everyone to go and, and listen to that. It goes deeper into some of these issues and and uh, also talks about some things that we're not going to be able to get to on uh, on the show today. But it really talks about the one requirement to be a master teacher, it's, and that's to believe that every child that steps into your classroom is a genius, and it's your job to guide them to discover their genius and to live it out to its fullest. And, and that's something that I think it, it's so close to my heart with, you know, with my five children. It's also something just that I think about every time I go into any orphanage, any place around the world that's, that's, that's really working with orphan and vulnerable children, because that's so often forgotten and neglected, um, in, in particularly in those children's lives when, when they aren't learning to do, they aren't learning to be in a lot of, the, in a lot of those instances. And, and so I know we'll get to that a little bit later today, but it's something that I really, really appreciated. Um, and I know that most of our listeners also do as well because because too often our kids are are seen just as that just as kids who don't have a lot to offer um, particularly when you're talking about you know different worldviews um, and different cultures in our world today that often these kids are seen as almost second second class or second rate so that's something that is so powerful and I think that can that that thought alone I think can change so many lives well uh, young, young, young people are very smart and mm-hmm. and they're they're capable of far more than we ever imagined. We, we've seen that when they're unleashed, but they're also smart enough to know if they're under authority and particular, particularly illegitimate authority, you know, I'm bigger than you are, therefore you'll do what I say, which is what they feel around adults. They're smart enough to just be quiet and, and to not try and to not risk. Um, and so they will sense if, we, if an adult walks in the room who wants to you know, power up on them or use authority or thinks less of them, they sense that like an animal senses fear. And so it's the one thing we can't have in an adult on our campus. And it's one of the reasons we will not allow any adult on campus anytime to answer any questions. Mm-hmm. Never, period. You may only pose a challenge or ask a question, but adults here are not allowed to answer questions. And, and that keeps us from assuming a false sense of authority. Yeah, and that's something that I know surprises a lot of people that the guides, um, which we'll get to what that what that means, aren't allowed to make declarative sentences during school um, at Acton, which is so often what happens in most schooling is just the teacher tells the students this is what it is. Um, and I love a quote that Laura had on on one of the videos, and she said, "Free thinkers are the key, and that's what we're trying to protect here." I think you hit on that why, because these kids have a lot more to offer than I think we give them credit for. Um, Anything else you have to add on that before we move on? And often, you know, often people will hear what you and I have just discussed and they'll think, oh boy, this is free love. This is like a hippie commune. Do what you want to. And actually, you know, it's not that at all, because we also believe all creativity begins with constraint and the real world has real constraints. So these young people actually create constitutions and contracts and covenants with each other. Um, they earn eagle bucks, which is kind of our internal currency. If you step over and cross one of the lines you promised to, um, you, you freely promised to to pay attention to, you'll be asked for an eagle buck, or you'll be you'll violate an honor code. So we actually have an enormous amount of structure. It's just voluntary structure that it's emerged from the young people creating their own tribe in their own way, and um, it functions very much like a civil society. So it, it looks like something like a democratic republic with a free market economic system. And so people listening shouldn't think, oh, boy, this is just all do what you want to do. Yes, you can do what you want to do within constraints and guardrails. 
that help you play by rules that make the whole community stronger. But you develop the rules, not an adult. Yeah, and and that actually reminds me of a of a time when I visited you at, at the school, and and you were sharing with me that the kids had uh, kicked out the the guides that week, and you were watching it on videos, and I, I assume you remember that, and it may have happened since then or before then. But can you share kind of what happened that week, and and really what you learned through that week? Yeah, so that that was a fascinating week. Um, you know, this community, uh, it's not a pan. This isn't a utopia. I mean, it doesn't run smoothly because human organizations don't run smoothly. So, you know, it'll run well for a while and then it'll collapse and it'll look a little bit like Lord of the Flies or it'll seem like we have a dictator, a, a young person who's kind of taking a more authoritative position in the class. So the day you were here uh, or the week you were here, it had completely collapsed. And one thing guides can do is we're allowed to show the Eagles their contract and say, this is what you promised to do. And then to say to them, you can play the videos because they, they, we tape in the studios. They can watch themselves. And we don't believe you're living up to what you promised. So if you don't do that, you either have to change your promises or change your behavior. It's one or the other. Now, what happened was um, usually that worked. This time, the Eagles didn't change either one. So the guys left. We said, you violated your contract with us. We're leaving the room. Now, what's funny is we thought the whole thing would collapse even further and we'd be invited back. But it turns out the Eagles had formed many um, Eagles are our name for the students. Mm -hmm. They they had had formed many communities inside the classroom, each with its own property rights. And you could decide which community you wanted to live in under kind of think of it as warlords in a way. Mm -hmm. And that worked so well, they decided they didn't need the guys back. And so they said, hey, look, we're we've got the challenges we're supposed to do. We've got the quest. Uh, We're self-governing and it was working very smoothly. There's really no need for you to come back. And it was only when they kind of ran out of challenges and didn't know quite how to create the new ones for themselves. They were still learning that process Mm -hmm. that they said, hey, maybe you guys can come back because we need some more challenges. And (laughs) now, frankly, you know, there'll be times as long as a week that no adult even enters the middle school Mm -hmm. because. They've got what they need to do. They're all on point. They're on task. They're running the studio, and we're not necessary. Yeah, that's so amazing. I, I've told that story so many times since I was there. It just it it never ceases to uh, bring a smile to my face. Um, okay, so I think we've teased it enough. Uh, talking about the why, talking about how students have responded, but can you, can you just go through uh, the, the main ways that you equip and inspire these students to learn to do and learn to be at ACTEC Academy? Sure. I mean, there are lots of ways to think about it. Um, one way is, is just the flow of a day kind of would help people picture it. So imagine, it's important to understand these are one-room schoolhouses. So there are 36 elementary students in one big room of all ages, 36 middle schoolers in one big room of all ages. And when our high school is finally full, it'll have 36 to 48 high schoolers in one room, all ages. So you'll get here about eight o'clock. Everyone gets here early. Uh, They're having fun and playing at 830. The first discussion happens and it's a launch of the day for 15 minutes. And either an eagle or a guide will kind of set the tone of the day and have a mini Socratic discussion. Then the Eagles are going to core skills, reading, writing, math, civilization. And those are self-paced. In math, it's either Khan Academy or Dreambox, one of the electronic programs. 
Uh, in writing, uh, there's something we've all agreed to work on together. It's peer-reviewed writing. We haven't taught one minute of math or writing, Phil, since the school started. And the students are excelling about, uh, they're increasing two to two and a half grade levels a year in math. Hmm. And they're beautiful writers. Now, it takes a while, right, because it's hard to learn to be a writer. Uh, but they'll basically decide what to work on in about a three-hour block until lunch. Part of that time silent. Part of it's collaborative. Uh, we have lunch for 30 minutes. After lunch, uh, we'll have a quest. And these are these narrative-based series of projects like I described. It might be building a whole electrical grid, building your own city. It might be uh, diagnosing real medical problems. Uh, we did a death quest all about death for six weeks. Uh, so these quests are uh, game-based, hands-on projects to develop a skill you'll lose, use in the real world. At 3 o'clock, there's a final uh 15-minute discussion about what happened during the day. At 3.15, the Eagles go home, and there is no homework. Uh, they work so hard while they're here. Now, some of them may take things home to work on because they have a book they're reading they enjoy or a project, but it's not a worksheet or anything we've assigned. It's something they've decided they want to work on and do more. And so that's the flow of a day, core skills, uh, self-paced uh, with helping each other learn, and then group-based projects that have a narrative theme. Oh, and importantly, at the end of six weeks, there's always a public exhibition. So we go in six-week sprints, just like software, people that build software. The, the Eagles will work very hard for six weeks. They do a public exhibition to show their work, test the public, do something kind of out there, you know, risking what they've done. And then they get a week off to rest, and then they come back, and we do it again. And we do that basically year-round. And so all the kids are in the same rooms? From Are there different levels at different rooms, or is it one, one room for everybody? One, one room for elementary, one room for middle, one room for uh, launch pad, which is our high school. And um, everyone's in that one big open room. You may be collaborating with a group on one thing. You may be working by yourself on another. You may be in front of a whiteboard sketching something out. Uh, but it's all one big room. And then often there'll be people mixing from the Launchpad High School studio down to middle school or middle school to elementary because each each high schooler, each Launchpadder has a squad of middle schoolers they run. Mm. And they're they're teaching leadership and coaching and working with the middle schoolers. The middle schoolers each have a squad of elementary schoolers they run. So really the school's mostly run by the young people, but having mentorship and leadership roles with someone else. So there's often a constant flow back and forth between the studios of you know, a sixth grader coming to the high school or a six-year-old coming to the high school and a middle schooler going down to the elementary schools. So that, that happens often. Hmm. And there's also the importance of uh, real-life apprenticeships. Uh, can you share a little bit about that? It's one of the most popular things we have um, because if you think about learn to do and learn to be in the real world, we want them working in a real business or real not-for-profit as soon as possible. So starting uh, as early as 10 or 11 years old, uh, the Eagles learn a way to find what you want to do, pitch yourself over email, phone, and then in person to get a position, promising that you will show up early, work late, do whatever it takes, but you're gonna find someone who's a hero to you that you want a, a master of something you want an apprenticeship under. And so by the time an Eagle gets out of, uh, gets ready for college, if they go to college from here, 
they may have done six or seven real life apprenticeships working in a real business or with a real organization and have letters of referral from that. But the, the, the apprenticeships are by far the most popular thing we do at the school. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and there's something else you do every week uh, at the at the school, and that's the students and parents take a survey every week. Why do you uh, do that and how do you use it? Great point. Uh, one of the most important things is we see the families we serve as our customers. Now, that doesn't mean you – know, it means the customer's always right, but we get to pick the customers. <laughs> so yeah. it means we're all on the same mission. So every week we ask each young person and each parent, how did we do this week? A scale of one to five, how did we do? And um, those results are public, including all comments. And, in fact, for the 26 acting academies we have now around the world and the 26 that are about to start, that's one of the few requirements for starting an acting is you have to – Ask your customers every week, how am I doing, and publish the results. And we're going to live and die based on whether we're satisfying our customers. Yeah, that's, that's so powerful. And, and with that comes the idea of how do you measure success? How, and how do you know that the model's actually working? Yeah. Well, so, you know, the hardest things about, about education is you really don't know for 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get indications of how it's working. And you also don't really know how much impact is um, genetic environment, peer groups, and what we're doing. And in a way, we don't worry about that. But in the short term, we do need to measure a few things. So we do, as much as we hate them, take one standardized test a year just so we know that for our children and other children, how, you know, are they at least by those standardized measures learning? And the answer there is absolutely. In fact, when we first started the middle school, Half the students that came in were from the bottom 10% of the test scores, the other half from the top 1%. Hmm. Almost no one in between. And if you think of it, that makes sense, right? If you were doing well in the middle of the pack, you didn't come to a new school. If you were bored in the top 1%, you came, or if you were struggling. Mm -hmm. Six months later, couldn't tell a difference. Now, some students were... um, could think faster. I mean, that's what IQ does for you, right? Mm -hmm. But grit and working hard will beat, you know, raw intellect any time. And so it wasn't, you know, 18 months after that, we found out that two thirds of the middle schoolers when retested uh, had placed out of high school. So we had people jump multiple grade levels, um, you know, each, each six months because now they wanted to learn, they cared about learning. So those tests are one indication that they're not the most important. I, I think the most important is when you see the ability of young people to speak, to deal with adults, uh, to think at a deep level, you, know, you can't measure that on a test. And so that we care the most about. Well, thanks again, Jeff, for your wisdom, um, for your life, for your commitment to the call and really just doing what you feel uh, you felt, you know, God put on your heart with you and Laura, um, as you said, for your kids to get them um, really the education that you felt they needed. But also not stopping there, but really going well, well beyond by seeing how you could help other children flourish, not just in Austin, but now all around the world. It's, it's pretty amazing. And the other thing I loved hearing from you, Jeff, was just something I talked to a lot of people about, which is so hard to measure success with children with education. 
uh, with short-term results. But it's really over a long term to see the character, as he said, learning to be, learning to do, and what that looks like over time. So, so Karen, I know that you love this interview. Why? Why did you? What, what, what really stuck out to you? Oh, yes. I um, was totally geeking out on a number of levels. I literally called my husband immediately and was sending him all kinds of links. I was like, babe seriously, like we may have to move, like we may have to move to one of these cities where uh, the Acton Academy is functioning. I was actually very, very serious about that. Um, education, I think as most parents, education is such an important part of, of our lives. And we think, what do we want our children to learn? How do we want to teach them? How do we want to disciple them? One of the things I ask parents all the time in my clinical practice is I ask, how are you, how are you teaching your kids? And I'm really looking for discipleship. And I'm also looking for discipline that where that root word of discipline comes from disciple. And that comes to teach that that comes from the obviously the word meaning to teach. And so as parents, we're constantly thinking about these things in our story. It's been really relevant to just from living internationally and bringing children home from an international setting through international adoption and trying to figure out what is the best environment for eight year olds who haven't had any English to, to jump into school and to learn. And so in my personal story, this has been a huge piece of it. And I was just thrilled and again, like totally geeked out to hear that something like this exists. And the other piece that obviously is near and dear to me is so much of the foundation about Acton Academy is built on psychological concepts. It's built on the idea that kids, when they learn, they have to be interested in learning. Mm. They have to have motivation to learn. I love when he talks about how, um, the teachers or the guides, they interact with the students in a very intentional way. And what I'm hearing from that is, is really based on a lot of theory and research related to parenting styles, not that their guides are parents. But we know that children, they learn and they are able to learn what to do and solve problems when parents approach them in a non or authoritarian way, when when parents aren't punitive, when parents aren't simply um, redirecting or correcting behavior, but when parents are coming to a situation and they're, they're helping children to understand what they did wrong and they're helping children to understand what they could do better. And they're also factoring in a child's emotional response. And so while I'm talking about parenting in this field, what I'm really talking about too is kids that the, the foundation with which children learn. And I love that the Acton Academy is focusing on these things and they're focusing on real life experiences that are, are looking at a holistic development for a child, not just a child being able to regurgitate information. I was incredibly impressed and wanting to just read more about it and learn more about this, this educational institution. It was amazing. Yeah. And, and it's the real deal. I can speak, uh, from firsthand experience, you know, knowledge of it. I, I, my kids have not been there, but I've seen it in action. Um, as you could tell, just from the interview, I've been able to visit the school and just completely, you know, I was blown away just hearing it again, blown away, watching the videos online, which I encourage everyone to do at actonacademy.org. And, uh, you know, I encourage you to check out how you're able to get involved yourself. Uh, you'll see in part two, of the interview that, uh, these, these are popping up all over the world and you out there have an opportunity, as he said, to audition, to be a school. I love even their intentional language on how they talk about yeah. everything that what they call each student, what they call the high school is the launching pad. It's not high school. It's not passive. Everything is active. 
addictive. And I absolutely love that, um, to have quest based projects because we all want to go on a quest, right? You know, that's what we just inherently want to do. Um, but it's not just a group project. It's a, we're going on a quest, you know, apprenticeships, all these things that they do so intentionally. And as they say, it's really to protect free thinking in our world that so strangles the way we think it strangles creativity. You know, it's not looking for the right answer, but knowing that there is genius in every child. Um, so I, I imagine that is, it is clicking with so many people out there listening because it's what we're created to be. We're created to create and cultivate. We are image bearers of God and that's what he does. So yeah, you know, Karen, why don't you tie it up to talk about the interview and then we'll, we'll get on to the rest of what we got. Yeah, I, I love that you brought up the piece there. They're one of their foundational aspects is that every child is a genius. And and for those of you guys that are that are listening and that know um uh, you know, the the best practice type of, of parenting related to connection-based parenting. And of course, um, Dr. Karen Purvis's work with trust-based relational intervention and empower to connect pieces of that. The huge foundation is that we love and we cherish and adore our children. And that is absolutely biblically based in that when our children see their parents loving and cherishing and adoring them in that unconditional state, then that models that relationship the way that God loves and adores us in an unconditional way. And when this um, educational institution is having that as a foundation of saying every single child is a genius. Um, it's just amazing. And to me, it was very similar to connection-based parenting. And again, teachers are not parents, um, guides are not parents, but the ultimate um, foundation that we're talking about is that kids need to be valued. Kids need to be cherished, even in an educational setting. It, I just can't speak highly enough about everything that I heard in this interview and the additional research that um, I've done related to the Acton Academy. All right. So we're going to, we're going to move on to um, Phil and Karen recommendations. Phil, do you have something for us this week? Yeah, we're going to stay on the education theme today. And these are a couple of books I read a few years ago when I was doing research for La Providencia, um, which we're doing down in Honduras. And, and these, these two books, it was also when we were homeschooling our kids. I was, my, my wife said, you got to read these books. And um, I'm glad she put them in front of me. Uh, the first is the, uh, A Thomas Jefferson Education, and it's by o Oliver DeMille. And I would say that a lot of you out there listening probably have read this or at least have heard of it. Um, if you're listening to the show, chances are you're really thinking through these issues deeply. Um, and this is just a, a fantastic book that does talk about, you know, how education used to be as far as just really is the same idea of the apprenticeship. It's really one-on-one -on -one teaching. It's, it's reading the great books. It's getting in. If you're going to learn about math, you read Euclid. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to learn about other things, you read where the source of those comes from and you talk with people and you talk through it and you have a, a guide, so to speak, as, as Jeff's talking about the Acton Academy. So it's very consistent with a lot of what Acton Academy is doing. Um, <clears throat> and it goes a little bit beyond as well. So I would, I would definitely recommend that. The other one is called Your Child's Strengths, and it is uh, written by Jennifer Fox. And again, it, it, it talks about what the title says, and it's really building on your child's strengths, and I think that Jeff talks about that as well. So these are two books that, that you won't regret reading, and uh, there, there, there are two that I, I learned a lot from. So we'll have the links to all this, as always, on the show notes. Um, but with that, we will, we're going to draw another episode to a close and thanks again for the download. And as always, I just want to encourage you to take what you learned today and use it wherever you're working to love orphan, 
and at-risk children more and more and better and better every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. And for all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.